there have always been those people that have to be courageous to stand up to do the right thing, right? Mm -hmm. Part of the reason why those people are heroes, why they're courageous, is because it's hard to socially isolate yourself, to out yourself is different. It'd be awesome if we could just all go there together. And maybe there are ways that we can do that with like default veg activism and trying to flip norms to be like more plant-based so that you give people a bit of an out to just like kind of go with society. But there's always going to be that bit of courage as well. Like you have to be courageous to, to do the right thing against the social norm. There's a meme that I saw and it's this one person standing alone and then there's this whole crowd. The meme was basically saying, you're all wrong. And it's this <laughs> one person right, standing right, right. alone. And I feel like, I'm like, that's me. <laughs> this is the story of my life. What the hell is up, you guys? My name is Jamie Logan, and today I am here with Stephen Rauch, the founder of Connect for Animals. <laughs> Yay. Thank you for being here. It's really, it's really, really lovely to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Guys, today we are going to talk all about the importance of being in this vegan movement and making friends and the importance of connecting with other like-minded people because ultimately that is what is going to be your support system when you're dealing with the rest of the world. A lot of non-vegans, things can get hard and things can get tough. And so Stephen has created Connect for Animals and he's going to tell us more about that. And also in this podcast episode, we're going to talk about infighting. We're going to talk about Stephen's vegan story, how he went vegan, and kind of just see where this goes. So without further ado why don't you give us an introduction yeah absolutely so there is there's so much to talk about here right there's so uh, many juicy topics the way that i usually talk about connect for animals is that it's a it's a platform for people who want to help in factory farming right and so the idea is that like if you're vegan if you're into animal rights if you want to help end this awful system which is factory farming which is one of the you know i, I think a lot of people view as one of the worst modern atrocities that we've done to other animals or just period, right? If you want to help be part of that solution of ending factory farming, we want to be that space where you can come and where you can find out just what's going on, right? And where you can find your people and you can find organizations, you can find events and just being organization agnostic is the way we like to talk about it because we want to support the full space of what's happening rather than tell people like, you know, you should be doing this, you should be doing this. Mm -hmm. We just want people to get plugged in in a way that feels good for them. So that's really what we, you know, we exist as a platform to help do that. So Yeah. So when people look up Connect for Animals, describe what they are going to see. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So right now we're very, we're taking this one feature at a time, right? Because there's a lot of stuff that we can do uh, with this platform. You know, you can think about it as a little bit of like a LinkedIn meets like Facebook events meets like a Bumble BFF kind of thing. But we're taking it one feature at a time. Because there's a lot to develop and it's a lot of hard work. It's very hard. Mm -hmm. So right now we're focused on events, oh. right? So when people go to Connect for Animals, the main thing that they're going to be seeing and interacting with is we have this list of upcoming events. We're, we're pretty U.S. focused right now, except for we do list virtual events happening around the world and conferences happening around the world. But the idea is that if there's an event out there from any organization, uh, any nonprofit, it, an event related to ending factory farming, we have it on the website. And you can search for events by topic. You can search for events by where you live. So you can find all those like local vegan meetup group things, mm -hmm. as well as those 
webinars that nonprofits are doing, for example, nonprofits like Mercy for Animals or the Humane League, or you've got alt protein stuff happening from the Good Food Institute, for mm -hmm. example, and we list we list all of that stuff in addition to your local protests, your local vegan potlucks, kind of all of that. And so that's the main thing that people are going to be finding, interacting with right now on the website. Yeah, super cool. And I think that a lot of people are vegan but want to get more involved and don't always know how to. So yeah. something like this is really great because it's actually just listing things in one place. You don't have to be all over the place trying to figure out where things are going on. You can just see it right there. So that's super important. So why don't you take us back to when you first made the connection? What is your vegan story? Oh my goodness. You know, I feel like I should sit down and I don't know, like write it out someday. So it took a long time. It took a long time. So I've got I got these like vague memories from the very beginning, right? Like in high school, I mean, you know, it's it's not like I was a baby or anything. So I don't know why these memories are so vague. But like my sister went vegetarian at some point, right? And I don't know if this was before or after I had seen my first factory farming footage. So I don't remember the order of things. So she, she went vegetarian for a little bit. At some point I saw factory farming footage like animal cruelty footage and was just like like what is this you know just mind blown horrified and then i grew up in the south really nobody was vegetarian nobody was vegan so i kind of just like left it there right i was like i don't know what to do with this and kind of just continued my life and didn't really think about it and just did the whole school thing and then went to college i think in college i got a couple more pieces of exposure right so it's like seeing more factory farm footage watching, I think, the documentary Food, Inc. at some point during my college career. And it just kind of growing with within me, you know, even though I still didn't know really any vegetarians, any vegans, I uh, didn't really know anybody doing animal rights stuff. But it, it was growing inside of me of like, this is a really important issue. Mm -hmm. Like, holy crap, this is huge. Um, so much suffering, so much unnecessary suffering. Why are we doing this? And so at some point towards the end of college and then the first few years after college, just like doing research into this and learning more and realizing just how important it was and trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. And I'd always, you know, like framed it to myself as I want to try to be a good person. I want to try to do good in the world. How do I do that? How do I make that specific? And realizing that helping animals, I think, is like the one of the biggest problems, if not the biggest problem. Mm -hmm. When you look at the scale, when you look at all the yeah. other issues that it's connected to, absolutely. Oh my yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, in, in, the, in a few years following college, I was like, not only is this important, not only am I going to make going vegan, uh, going vegan a priority in my life, but I also want to, I, I think, devote my career and like my life's work to this. And so from there... It was this journey of how do I get plugged in, right? And, and then that's kind of the foundation of where Connect for Animals came from as well was part of it was my difficulty mm -hmm. finding those ways to to make a difference. Mm -hmm. It's that so. isolation. It's that you go vegan and you realize that the world is like almost in a matrix and that they just kind of are closing their eyes to this very obvious elephant in the room. And it's so easy to do something because everywhere you look, there's advertisements for animal products. It's so normalized in our society. Mm -hmm. And I think the hardest thing for me was that I couldn't understand how something so widespread was so wrong. And so unethical. I just couldn't I couldn't understand how the world just 
ignored this issue and mm. um, did this to animals. I, I thought that maybe something humane happened in the process or maybe that these animals, it, they were killed quickly. Not that that's okay by any means, but these mm. are the lies you tell yourself. And when everybody else is doing it, you just kind of follow along and get and get caught into it as well. So it took me kind of a while to make that connection and ultimately stand against the crowd too because it takes a level of rebellion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does. It takes a level of just you got to be willing to be different and to have that conversation over and over and over again. So like sometimes we might we might think that people just do what's easy, right? Or like what the most convenient thing is. But if you look at a lot, a lot of culture, a lot of traditions, whether national traditions or like religious traditions or just like community traditions, a lot of traditions and culture are not easy things per se they're actually like kind of rather difficult to stick with but if you're if you're in a group of people that does something a certain way then you're going to do that thing that certain way right and so mm. if if the whole world were vegan if the whole world were um, anti-speciesist and centered around animal rights it'd be the easiest thing in the world because everyone's doing it we're all doing it together but to go against the grain of what literally everybody is doing uh, even if it's the right thing to do and even if it's not actually that difficult, like being being vegan, being plant-based, whatever, like it's not that difficult in the grand scheme of things. But if it's going against the entire grain of society, it's going to be extremely difficult uh, because of social pressure, mm -hmm. social pressure in all kinds of different ways. Like if you're not feeling good someday, you know, then rather just rather than just like not feeling good, like all of us just you know, some days just feel kind of crappy, right? Mm -hmm. Suddenly your entire social network is going to be like, oh, it's because you're vegan. Oh, you know, like you're probably dying because you're vegan. <laughs> you know, and it's like, no, I'm just just feeling bad today. Like, but that pressure, you know, or like if you're a little low energy, it's like, oh, it's probably because you're vegan. <sighs> or, you know, like you're just trying to hang out with friends and have a good time. And then people are just cracking jokes. And it's just like a lot of social pressure all the time. And so it does... I feel like take a certain type of person or a certain social support for people to be able to stick with that year after year or have that deep motivation. Mm -hmm. right? And I, I, there's a meme that I saw and it's this one person standing alone and then there's this whole crowd and it said, you know, I'd rather be standing alone if it means that like I'm in the right. Or it said something, the meme was funny though. The meme, the meme was basically saying, you're all wrong. And it's this one person <laughs> right, standing right, right. alone. And I feel like, I'm like, that's me. <laughs> this is the story of my life. Uh -huh. And, you know, there's these studies in psychology that actually show that they'll put a bunch of people in a room. And I want to say like 10 out of the 15 people will be paid actors. Mm. They'll be actors. And the psychologists will ask these group, this group of people a question that a math question, you know, five plus five is 10. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. We know that, but w they'll give people choices. Okay. Is five plus five, nine, or is five plus five, 10? And they'll make the paid actors <laughs> go to the side that says five plus five is nine. Mm -hmm. And when everybody's going to that side, the people that are like, wait, what? Like, I, I'm pretty sure it's 10. No, wait, I know it's 10. Why is everybody going over there? But because everybody else is going yeah. over there, they also go over there and they get the answer wrong. Super mm. interesting. Yeah. I'd be yeah. like, no, bitch, this is 10. <laughs> I'm staying right here. <laughs> uh, but it takes a lot of courage, right? It takes a lot of, I, don't, I mean, have you always been someone who's like willing to, to go against no. the norm? No. no. Okay, just 
with this or with things that you think are important? I think with this particular issue, I am like, there's no logical explanation for how this is wrong. I, we're right. I know we're right. Yeah. Animals yeah. are sentient beings that don't want to die. You cannot argue mm. that what we do to them is okay in any way, shape, or form. There is no argument against it. And I've been talking to people for years about this. I've heard every excuse in the book and there is no logical explanation or excuse to continue eating animals. So mm -hmm. that being said, because I know we're right, I love being on the right side and I mm -hmm. love being able to debate and, and have the right answers. But it's interesting because in high school, I was like the most easygoing, the most, you know, don't want to stir the pot, cause issues, mm. not political Chill, whatsoever. go with the flow. Yeah. You're just like, whatever. Yeah. I'm like, what am I wearing to the party tonight? This is my biggest concern and issue at the moment. Mm -hmm. And it's so different from how I am now. Like I could give a crap about that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. how about you? Uh, oh, man. Yeah. Growing up, you know, just trying. Well, growing up, I was always, maybe not always. For a lot of growing up, I was just like the super nerdy bookish kid, right? Do good in school. So I I was very conflict avoidant and like kind of tried to fit in. Well, I mean, I say tried to fit in, but I was always just like the super nerdy kid off on my own, making good grades, but like having very few friends, right? Mm. Or ha having like a few also close nerdy friends. That was mm -hmm. kind of my, my upbringing, but definitely not not really like taking a stand for anything no you know not no. someone who you would view as or who you would say is courageous or who is you know has has like a strong stand on on issues i think that was part of maybe that was part of my high school journey and then definitely college and after as well is trying to figure out like what does it mean to be a good person and what do i want to do with my life and what are those mm -hmm. things that i do want to take a stand on and then you know Obviously, there's lots of um, there's a lot of issues with the world. I don't know if uh, I don't know if you know that, but uh, yeah, <laughs> really? <there's... laughs> oh no, there's there's a lot of things that we can make better, right? Yeah. And I mean, even framing them as like issue, there's just a lot of things that we can make better yeah. um, on the human rights side of things. And then when you when you're you know thrown into this animal space mm -hmm. or like non-human animal, right? Just like the rest of the animal kingdom, beside. Mm -hmm. Besides us as this one primate species, you're like, oh, my God, there are so many issues, mm -hmm. so many ways that we can make things better. Um, so why do you choose to focus on the animals? Yeah, I do think, like you said earlier, I think a big part of it is the is the immense scale and the lack of justification, right? So when you're dealing with humans, the population of the world is like 8 billion, Right. And you're like eight billion people like that's a lot. And that's, you know, there, there's a lot of human suffering. There's a lot of things that we can do, do better there. And then you get thrown into this, this uh, animal space. And the numbers that you're dealing with are in the, I mean, like trillions, quadrillions, depending on which animals you're including and from year to year. And it's like such, you know, just like so little disregard for their lives and just the scale of the suffering and, like, why are we doing it, mm -hmm. right? And so, I, I mean, that's a big reason. Yeah. That's a big reason. And yeah. also it's an issue that people are contributing to three times a day. Like, these are good people that have good intentions that are literally paying to kill animals three times a day. Rapists, child molesters, and murderers are likely not doing that three times a day. And most of society would look at them and be like, you are the worst. You are a bad person. But these people are quote unquote good people that I it's either they don't know any better or they're just 
caught up in this matrix and I just yeah it, it, it is an issue where it's it's once you open your eyes to it mm. you see the world in a very different way yeah yeah totally and, and I mean that's partially how I like to think about it as well as moral circle expansion right mm-hmm. um, is something that I like to think about it's like if you look at human history, there there have been many periods of time, including, you know, our own history in the United States in the last, I mean, even right now, but of just who we consider as morally worthy and as worthy of consideration for their well-being and their interests. And I think it's it's a really valuable question to ask just that question of who is worthy of us considering their interests and their and their lives and i think once you realize that like humans aren't the only ones with subjective experience of what it means to be alive like white males are not the only humans with Mm -hmm. experience like are not the only worthy humans right and then you blow that up to not just humans but at the species level it's like humans, you know, this one species of primate is not the only animal Mm -hmm. that has experiences and that has, uh, that experiences pain and joy and and suffering and well-being and all that kind of stuff. And so like once, once you realize that, that it's like, okay, if we care about expanding that circle and if we care about the experiences of others, then like logically, we just need to look at who has experiences and who's worthy and i think that that circle keeps getting wider and encompassing Mm -hmm. other animals and yeah i love that and i just did a speech at national animal rights day about expanding our circle of compassion and the speech Mm. was kind of about this conversation that i had with my grandfather and i was talking to him about actually doing the speech at national animal rights day and i was asking him what do you think i should talk about and he by the way is not vegan doesn't get the vegan thing at all Mm -hmm. so that's why i asked him because i was like maybe there's something he can give me that would be that non-vegans would understand and find interesting and so i always like to run things by him Mm -hmm. and so he's he was like well you should talk about the whales you know there's there's 97 of them that just washed up on the shore and in the northeast you you have to talk about them and he was really really concerned about these whales like to the point where i was like oh my god like grandpa i i I mean that's terrible right but Mm -hmm. what did you eat for lunch that you know what that's my question so it's so interesting how we look at some species like whales or dolphins or you know elephants or we revere them and then we take other species like chickens cows pigs turkeys and we just have no regard for their life lives and eat them and it all comes down to it's like okay is it because the skin their skin color is different is it because they have different types of feathers or fur uh it's really just about their appearance right because you bring up experiences and their desire to live and they Mm. all possess those traits yeah all oppression is literally rooted in that fact and in that matter of when we devalue the lives of others we have to dehumanize them Mm. we have to say oh well they're not that intelligent or oh they're nothing like us and that allows us to continue doing what we do to them Mm -hmm. yeah i mean at the end of the day right i mean think like you like you said with uh, i mean just all forms of oppression are basically about, you know, how do we want to use these other mm. beings, whether those are humans, whether those are non-human animals. And 
rationalizing whatever you need to rationalize so that you can justify using those beings for something against their will, right? Mm -hmm. Against their better interests. Going back to the psychology, there's some really interesting stuff where, you know, if basically like, let's say that I want to use a cow for some reason or a whale, right? Or, mm -hmm. or, or what, whatever. And I view myself as a good person. And so I'm like, I don't want to cause unnecessary suffering or, you know, I'm a good person who wouldn't take advantage of anybody. So you, that causes dissonance if you want to use or exploit that being for something. And so what you can do is you can either stop the exploitation, stop the oppression, and then you reduce that side of the dissonance. And then you can feel okay viewing this other being as, as worthy. Or what a lot of people do, which I think is, is kind of what you said, is, you know, we come up with these imagined things like, oh, they're, they're actually like not that smart. They're actually like not that sentient or like it just doesn't really matter to them what we do to them. And so we come up with these, we're like trying to balance this equation in our minds, this like, you know, cognitive dissonance equation. Mm -hmm. And that and we do that regardless of whether the other is human or or not um and so i mean fundamentally it comes down to the fact that we as humans are trying to rationalize using other beings it's not mm -hmm. about those beings qualities at that point it's about our desire to use them for something and like how we're trying to rationalize that to ourselves mm -hmm. so um yeah 100 percent. i mean whales cows it's just a difference of like you know, whales we view as these like beautiful, charismatic, you know, mm -hmm. megafauna. Mm -hmm. And cows were like, oh, I don't know. Cows are just cows. We, mm -hmm. we eat them. And it's like mm -hmm. not about the animals at that point. It's about, mm -hmm. it's about us, about like this primate brain trying to rationalize stuff. It's like what gives us the right? I just don't understand. Like who are we to then just decide what these animals are here for? And it's, it's absurd. Like we are, if in my opinion, the dumbest species alive because we're <laughs> driving this planet into the ground. Okay. So it's like, what gives us the right? And another justification that I wanted to say while you were talking about mm. them is people will be like, well, I didn't kill them myself. The slaughterhouse worker did it for me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you're the one paying for it. And that's why they killed the animal. So the blood is actually on your hands. Yeah. And so when we as activists point out this dissonance, we become the target. It's like, where does the messenger we are delivering this information and when people get basically called out for their hypocrisy they get pissed and they're mm -hmm. like vegans this vegans that we don't like vegans vegans are annoying mm -hmm. what do you think about that well i think you know once again going back to the rationalization so actually and this connects this connects really well into why i started connect for animals which is that individuals, we as individuals don't exist in isolation, right? We exist in this fabric of society. And, you know, people just grow up in this fabric of society doing whatever culture tells them to do, whatever their family gets them to do, whatever their friends are doing. Generally speaking, people do what their friends and family members do, like what society does around them, just like, you know, broadly, broadly speaking. And so to go against that grain 
I think like we were talking about earlier, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you are isolating yourself socially. Yep. And I think, isn't there some psychological research that shows that social isolation may or may not be experienced as like physical pain in the body or something like that? Absolutely. Like it's, it's very distressing, right? And so rather than experiencing this kind of social isolation, either psychologically or due to various other social pressures that, mm-hmm. um, you know, physical or social or psychological that people might, you know, try to pressure you into conforming, rather than subjecting ourselves to that, we try to rationalize like what the group is doing, right? And just however we have to do it, you know, we're going to try to rationalize like, oh, we do it, you know, like we as a society do this because X, Y, Z, because we've always done it this mm-hmm. way, because uh, because we have to, because we have to eat animals or because like... God told us to. Yeah, because God told us to, <laughs> because our grandfathers and grandmothers, you know, for generations, generations did it and therefore it's good, Right. And I think fundamentally, all of that stuff, like for the most part, or at least a lot of it, is rationalization to try to avoid the pain of social isolation mm. and of being different. Because you, because people know what that entails, right? People know that if you go down that path, you're changing your life, you know? And to do that alone, we ideally we would just do that as the fabric of society we would just all evolve together simultaneously we would just flip the switch together and then people wouldn't have to worry about being socially isolated about um but i mean going back to social movements there have always been those people Mm -hmm. that have to be courageous to stand up to do the right thing right Mm -hmm. part of the reason why those people are heroes why they're courageous is because it's hard to socially isolate yourself. To out yourself is different, right? And like this, this is no different. This mm-hmm. is no different. So it'd be be awesome if we could just all go there together. And maybe there are ways that we can do that with like default veg activism and trying to flip norms to be like more plant based, so that you give people a bit of an out to just like kind of go with society. But there's always going to be that bit of courage as well. Like you have to be courageous to to do the right thing against the social norm. That is such a great explanation. And I always say that the most painful part about being vegan, at least for me, was waking up and recognizing that the people that I love don't care the same way I do. And it was these constant battles of I would rescue an animal and then come home and see body parts in my refrigerator for my family. And you know, they know the information. I've told them. And it's this divide where I almost feel closer to some of my vegan friends than I do my family and friends that I've known my whole life. And Mm. it's so interesting how, you know, these are our values. These are our morals. And, you know, I'm not willing to sacrifice on that whatsoever. And if it means that I've had to lose some important people in my life, then then that's, that's how it goes. I've set those boundaries. I've said what I'm comfortable with. I think after going to slaughterhouses and being as active as I am in the movement, I just can't be at a table and see these body parts and not get upset. It's distressing to me. It brings back PTSD of seeing animals hung up with their throat slit. It brings back memories of, you know, running out late at night trying to carry animals out of slaughterhouses and and risking my own freedom and Mm. getting, you know, being locked away for that. Like, Mm. it brings back these memories. And 
I am not willing to sacrifice on that. And I think a lot of my friends and family have just I have a target on my back and they've just been like, she's the weirdo. Mm. We're going to mock her because it's much easier to do that than to actually look internally and say, hmm, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's a that's a hard situation to be. I mean, yeah. Social change is hard, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard. I mean, that's why I I think if people I guess I'd be interested, actually, in your perspective. So I think Mm -hmm. about this through the lens of social support and like you know, why I started Connect for Animals is very much all of these reasons. I mean, what for you, like, what role has knowing other activists played for you in being able to to do that? I guess, has that played a role? Absolutely. It, it, it gave me the confidence to speak up and to be more active because having other activist friends, I'm like, wow, I'm not actually alone in this. And it gives me the courage to, you know, speak up on this more. I mean, if every single comment on, you know, my videos were people going against me and being angry and mean, and if there wasn't at least like one person being like, I'm with you, I stand with you, you're right, like you've changed me, it would be very hard to continue to put out that content it still is hard like i deal with a lot of really mean people really angry people all the time yeah and now i've developed thick skin because i've been doing this for a while but in the beginning going back to wanting to be liked and accepted Mm -hmm. um it was really hard for me to get active and speak about this and deal with like the death threats and the mean comments like i would you know cry about it and get really upset but i think when you become an activist you have to put that discomfort aside and those feelings aside and just be okay with not always being liked and i think change comes with that there's three stages of truth the first stage is ridicule and humiliation the second stage is actually violent oppression people get like really really angry and upset about it. I mean, you look at the civil rights movement and the violence that people faced when they were standing against, you know, the mistreatment of others. And then finally, the third step is acceptance. And we are getting there, but we are in those first two stages now. And we as activists and we as people on the front lines are dealing with that ridicule and that humiliation and that mockery. And I mean, I stand firm in my place and nobody's pushing me around. And I'm going to keep these comments that come in that roll in at this point. I'm like, all right, baby, now I know how much work I still have to do. Yeah. You're like, bring it. Go on. Yeah. It's like like an indicator, you know, it's like your little stock market ticker of like, okay, how many, how many hateful comments, how many death threats? (laughs) Now I know I've reached the people I wanted to reach, but at least you bring up a point of having my activist friends and at least having other vegans. Like I don't go crazy in this world. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Actually this is a movement that's growing and it feels at least like a victory because it feels like it gives me hope and optimism because it feels like we're growing which we are in numbers Mm -hmm. we're still small Mm -hmm. but otherwise it's like if you have no victories or successes to focus on it's like uh am i doing anything correctly i don't know Mm -hmm. yeah i have a bit of a i have a bit of a personal theory you know it's like It'd be great if we could run experiments with the whole world and just like try the world a bunch of different ways and see which one goes the best, right? But I've got a little bit of like a, a little bit of a personal theory. I'm not sure if it's right or not. The, the the internet, for all of its goods and bads, I think might have put like rocket engines on a lot of social movements, um, like accelerated them due to people being able to find each other and connect mm. across 
geographic distances, right? So w I think with any, not with any social movement um, or any uh, justice movement, but with a lot of them, it's hard to find allies and supporters. It's hard to find people who are willing to take a stand on an issue, partially because of that that social pressure to not do anything, right? And so you can't just like, you can't just go around being like, hi, like, I'm vegan, I care about animal rights. Like, do you, do you, do you? Because you're gonna get a lot of social pressure, you're gonna go get a lot of backlash. And also, if it's only like 1% of the population that feels a certain way, it's just hard to find a bunch of those mm -hmm. people. And so with, uh, you know, with something like the internet, with something like us being able to be connected and contribute content ourselves and being able to find other people who share the same thoughts and beliefs as us and be able to just like voice these things like, hey, I think it's wrong to, to do this to animals. And somebody else is like, yeah, I think so too. And maybe they live in a totally different state, totally different country. But like you said, I mean, you know, the importance of connection here, like now these people can come together. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm like curious, it'd be interesting to see in a world without the internet, without social media, without the ability for us to, so easily find each other and connect like would would a lot of social movements be the place that they are today and like would animal rights and veganism mm -hmm. have seen this uh you know this this growth of this of interest well so. i don't think it's a coincidence that the boom of instagram and tiktok and facebook was about i want to say like seven or eight years ago because i remember when i was in high school that wasn't really a thing. Like people had Instagram, but nobody really used it. You had like the the Polaroid looking feeds mm -hmm. with, you know, like white space around the photo <laughs> and you're like trying to look hipster and cute. And then I don't think it's a coincidence that the boom of where Instagram started taking off with information and videos and recipes and there was more vegan content mm -hmm. and veganism had grown and started mm -hmm. growing. And I even went vegan when I was 18. And that was kind of like where things started picking up and there was more information. Because I think with this type of thing, it's the more you know, the further you run. And it's very easy for people just to close their eyes to it because the information isn't always accessible and available. I mean, it is on Google and you could look this stuff up, but who wants to do that, right? right, right. So if it's not in your face all the time, it's easy just to be like, I'm not going to look at this. And also, not for nothing, but TikTok, for example, will censor a lot of videos and take mm. a lot of videos down that have an animal rights message in there if it's violent or graphic. I'm like, how do you want me to show this stuff? It just is violent and graphic. That's why we yeah. are opposed to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's it's complicated. I actually, I, I would love to see some more of the data and research on this. I know that various surveys have showed that like the percentage of people who identify as vegan, at least I think in the United States, vegan or vegetarian, has been like roughly constant for a long time. But then it, it it's so on the one hand, you know, it's not like 20% of the population is now vegan over the last five years. But on the other hand, it does seem like there's been this explosion of interest, this explosion of content. Mm -hmm. Restaurants. Restaurants, yeah. Have at least vegan options, mm -hmm. you know. Companies, like plant-based companies, all-protein companies um, blowing up. I remember, this was a few years ago, and this random podcast was talking about Beyond Meat. And I think they were just talking about it like as a burger. And then kind of out of the blue, one of the podcast hosts 
was just like, you know, what we do to animals is like really messed up. And it like wasn't even, they weren't even, they didn't have an animal rights guest on, they didn't have a vegan guest on, they're just eating this burger. And just like the presence of these companies, just that that conversation, right? Just getting that conversation onto the table more of like, hey, let's talk about our relationship Mm -hmm. with all of the other beings on this planet. And yeah, having having spaces like podcasts, YouTube, you know, TikTok, Instagram, mm-hmm. where people can talk about these things and just like work work it out together collectively, you know. And obviously, there's so there's a lot of bad stuff about the internet and social media, and mm-hmm. I think still very much TBD on like the where do we end up, mm-hmm. you know, in the next five, ten, fifty, hundred years, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if we keep up at this rate, we're not going to have a planet to live on. So Yeah, you know, <laughs> there's always that. There's always that. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. We laugh so we don't cry. Right. right. Is that, is that, is that, is that... <laughs> all the freaking time. I really do. It's like you have to turn this tragedy into comedy in some way. And that's why I've started my Jamie's Corner show, because it's just like we're discussing these ridiculous topics that seem so obvious. Like, yeah. hey, we shouldn't hurt animals, you know, and then people fight you on that. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> right, right, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, and climate change obviously is, yeah. So I mean, it's, it's scary stuff. When we talk about just relationships in general, friendships, what about our partners and our romantic partners? Like, have you had to deal with a non-vegan romantic partner or how has that journey been for you? That's a that's a good question. So I know that this is a huge topic for a lot of people, right? And yeah. there are apps like Vegly where people try to, you know, it's like, got to find myself another de- uh, vegan life partner. So my wife and I have been together for for a long time, like 10 years. We got married uh, like five years ago. We, we, we kind of went on that journey together a little bit so i was i think you know getting more committed to being vegetarian and vegan when we started dating and then we went and we watched a documentary together um called the ghosts in our machine have you seen that one Mm -hmm. uh it features joanne MacArthur. if you know yes from we animals yep absolutely it is a lot of people haven't heard of it um i feel like you know earthlings and dominion are, are popular ones but uh, this documentary is it's beautifully shot. It touches on a lot of different things and also shows, I think, maybe some of the hopeful side of, you know, sh- she goes to a, a, a fur farm, but then she goes to um, like an animal sanctuary, right? And anyways, it's a beautiful documentary. Um, would definitely recommend that, that that people see it and show it to their friends and family. But we went and we saw that together. And I think that that was one of those points for us of deepening commitment to this to this space. And so I think like in that respect, I, like I've been very lucky. We've been very lucky because um, we've been together and been like vegan together for, for you know, like nine or ten years. So mm-hmm. um, I know that that's very rare, kind that's, of a very rare experience for a lot of people. That's lucky. I mean, I always tell people to stay hopeful. I mean, my boyfriend wasn't vegan when we started dating, but now he is. And mm-hmm. I think it sometimes takes patience. It takes setting boundaries. Like I wasn't okay seeing him around those products. I didn't mm-hmm. want them anywhere near me. He needed to be open-minded and – you know, ultimately, if you say, okay, I'm never going to date a non-vegan, you're limiting yourself to 1% of the world. Mm. So I always say, like, use it as a way to be an advocate and bring somebody into the cause that way. Mm. So he started coming to vigils and sanctuaries as well mm. and just getting more involved and getting more um, 
more educated. That's amazing. That's great. I um I think that that you know it's once again sort of that if you're in, if you are tying yourself very closely to somebody that social pressure can go both ways. So you got the social pressure from maybe the pro animal like vegan side, you know, trying to expose the other person to education and to a reality and to like a new way of seeing the world. But then you've got that other pressure on the other side. And I've definitely seen that happen too, right? Where people, you know, finding a life partner is a big priority for a lot of people. And I I have seen sometimes where that is the top priority for somebody. And then they, you know, they start dating somebody who's not vegetarian or vegan. And then like they kind of get you know, they go the other way. And that's that social pressure, right? Mm-hmm. That's that social pressure again, especially because the other person sort of has like all of society behind them. Yeah. Um, and so that's hard. I've also noticed, I think that this has been studied, but women are way more likely to go vegan or vegetarian, right? Than men. And I've noticed that men can often be blockers in relationships, whether romantically or like in a family where, you know, like a woman wants to go vegan, vegetarian, or or do animal rights activism. And then the, you know, man due to the, probably a lot of the pressure, right? Of that toxic masculinity of, mm-hmm domination and like you need meat to be manly and like I got to get you know 20,000 grams of protein a day so that my muscles are like you know two feet around or whatever (laughs) Um, so that people like me and so people don't you know Mm -hmm. uh, whatever so I I have noticed that dynamic as well so I think and you know I'm not sure how much this has been studied but it's probably harder for women to convince men due to those uh, social pressures of yeah. like masculinity and all that that has uh, connotations around it. At least that's what some of the research seems to say and like some of what I've seen as well. And so I'm not entirely sure mm-hmm. um, there, but yeah, but that could be hard too. Deep-rooted societal beliefs, you know, about the protein myth and this, this and that. And yeah, it is mm-hmm. toxic mas- masculinity. And I think a, the, a real indicator of dominance is actually compassion and looking at somebody more vulnerable than you and being like, I want to love you and treat you with kindness, not, you know, might doesn't make right, you know, Mm -hmm. so but just because I'm bigger and stronger and more manly or whatever, that actually makes you really cruel if you use that power to harm another individual. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) 100%. Like who wants to be that and to brag about that? It's like, I use my power to like cause suffering when I don't have to. I use my power to like, um, you know, yeah, who, like why would we elevate that in society? You're just an asshole. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> so exactly. that being said too, I mean, we also deal with a lot of really intense emotions in the movement. And we as activists are dealing with the weight of the world on our shoulders. We're seeing animal suffering. Our emotions are very high sometimes. and. Often you see infighting in the movement. So while there's this really big need to connect as activists and, you know, animal rights people and be together and fight this cause together, you also see a lot of division. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on that and how do we avoid that? It's uh, so destructive. It's such it's such a big topic. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of it comes because people do feel so strongly, right? Like people feel so strongly there's this concept i think it's called the narcissism of small differences i think maybe is what it's called where it's like we can often be more upset with people who are basically on our team but have small differences Mm. we can be more upset with those people 
than we can be with like the people who are polar opposites of us because we get so focused on these like small differences and and who's right over these like very niche topics. And so I, I do think I think that that's some of it, right? Is we like we spend time together and we see people who are like like you're sort of there, but you've got this difference and like that really pisses me off. That makes me mad, you know, and then we 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 fight each other over mm-hmm like ideological purity or strategic purity or effectiveness or things like that. Mm. So anyways, it's a big topic. I have maybe been fortunate to, as I was trying to find my way into this movement, right? Like find where can I make a difference? I just tried a bunch of stuff, including things that would not normally be my cup of tea, like protests and disruptions and some of those more out there things that put you more in that conflicty, tense position in society that, you know, me, like growing up, very much an introvert, very conflict avoidant. Like, I didn't want to be doing that kind of stuff, but I, I wanted to make a difference. And so I was just trying everything I could find, handing out leaflets on the sidewalk, you know, mm-hmm. doing tabling and then doing online activism stuff and then doing protests and marches and disruptions. And then I have a background in data and research. And so trying to apply my like data analysis and and tech skills to the movement. Mm -hmm. And so I've gotten to see so many different angles of the movement, I guess. And I think what what I came to realize was just that like, for the most part, people are seeing different sides of the picture and people have access to information and are thinking about strategy in a different way mm-hmm. from the other sides. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's this one point where I was kind of, uh, you know, I was doing different types of activism with these couple of different groups that at the time kind of didn't like each other, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time thinking like, there we don't have a silver bullet here. Like we don't know what's gonna work. Um, you're both approaching things from different angles. I think we just need more of both of it, right? Like more of both sides. And obviously, if you you know if you're thinking about resource allocation, like um, effective you, altruism type of stuff. Well, you gotta yeah, you gotta invest. You know, you gotta invest your time and energy in one place versus another. But I, I just saw how both of these both of these camps thought about things in different ways, and I was like, I was like, your approaches are mutually compatible and mm-hmm. we really should just be having more of both. Mm. And I mean, with like connect for animals, that's like really what I want as well as just more of everything, mm-hmm. right? Like think about the problem, try to find a solution, invest your time and energy into it. And like, let's just get more of all of that. Just mm-hmm. more of, yeah. I really don't think that there is a wrong way to do activism. I think if your intention is in the right place, I think disruptions are needed at times because sometimes the facts and the figures are not enough to wake people up to get media attention. And so we have to take drastic measures. And that is what you do and, and what you see. I mean, just last week with PETA, I stormed the Coach Runway show. And people were, some people were really angry about it. Some people were liked it and they liked my walk. Thank you. And, <laughs> and some people were, yeah. And so there were different opinions on it. But that's a perfect example of why sometimes we need to take drastic measures to get our point across. Because 
that got media mm-hmm. and that got people talking about leather mm-hmm. and this subject matter and animal rights. Otherwise, it just completely goes unnoticed. Everybody just wears their skins and it's not called out and it's normalized. And so I do think that you're right. We need multiple different forms of activism. And instead of putting other activists down and other actions down that are trying to defend animals, just you focus on doing what you find right Mm -hmm. for the movement. And that's what I answer all the time on my social media. Some people will say, you're the type of vegan that makes people not want to (laughs) be vegan. I'm like, well, first of all, if you're not yet vegan, you have no leg to stand on. You have no right to tell me what I should be doing and what's right or wrong. You mm. eat animals. You are the problem. So <laughs> I, that I don't even pay any attention to. But when vegans mm. say mean things and nasty things, I always just respond with love in my heart and I say, please, you do what you think is effective mm-hmm. and what you think is going to further the movement and you have my full support. Mm-hmm. You don't always have to agree with everything that I do, but I, there is a method to my madness. I promise mm. you. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at so as, as part of my animal activism journey, part of that was learning about other social movements, right, throughout history. And there is a long history of social movement in fighting. And just people, I mean, like this has been around, uh, you know, for years and years and years, right? I mean, if you look at the civil rights movement, for example, tons of conflict, tons of strategic differences. And I mean, I think where it really gets hairy is where people do feel that other people are being counterproductive and really harming the movement, right? I think that's where maybe you get the most intense feelings is, um, uh, but but there's just this, this long history of people disagreeing so strongly, but there's also a long history of uh, many different types of activism coming together into this, uh, into this strong movement that each piece, I think there's this, uh, there's this institute, I think it's the INI Institute that researches social movements. And I can't remember who exactly created this framework of these different types of activism, right? And so you've got kind of this inside game activism or advocacy where you have people who are trying to change the system from inside or people who are trying to get those incremental reforms done. And then you've got kind of the protesty, activisty outside game. And they, these are going to be the marches and, and the more disruptive style stuff, right? I mean, the civil rights movement, you've got things like the, the sit-ins. And you have all of these different types of actions that at the time were very disruptive. And those play, uh, they play a very different role, right? And then you've got, um, uh, I think the other slice of the pie might be like personal transformation or something like that. So it's what are we doing as individuals to to create the system that we want to see and also to become the people that we want to exist in the world. So, you know, reducing our own personal biases uh, in the animal space, you know, could be going vegan, for example, and having that personal commitment to animals. There are all these different, these different like buckets of advocacy that fit together into this beautiful uh, movement and each piece is playing a different role, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I think that, you know, looking at it like that, you can kind of see how these different things fit together and maybe serve different roles. For me, at least, once I started learning about about that and about how this type of conflict has existed uh, throughout uh, all of these different social movements and how these different roles, you know, they, they play different, different spaces here, um, I think that helped me be more comfortable with this, like, 
messy, vibrant ecosystem of different people trying different things. Mm -hmm. I do think that, uh, at least in the, the history of stuff that I've learned, like, violence can often be a thing that sets a movement back, right? Like if you if you kind of like lose the moral high ground mm -hmm. through committing acts of violence towards towards your opponent, like in the like Gandhian nonviolence, for example, the strategy was very much to for, for people to be there and oppose these systems, but not to act, I guess, violently against the oppressors, but mm -hmm. rather to accept the suffering and accept you know, basically holding up a mirror to society and saying we are against violence, we are against inflicting harm on other people. So I think that there's the ethical standpoint, and there's also just the PR standpoint as well. Of like, as soon as people view you as as a, a violent enemy, then they very often shut off and just kind of oppose everything that you're doing. To me, what makes me feel that the movement is being set back is when somebody says they're no longer vegan and when they turn their backs on the animals because it's like you feel like okay when somebody goes vegan it's like yes we finally got them they finally understand they, they finally are going to not participate in a system that hurts animals and then there's people that have become activists that started speaking up against these oppressive industries and then they go back to eating animals. That to me is the most devastating thing. And it's really hard to have patience for those kind of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like a betrayal. Yeah. Or, yeah. And I, I think social pressure, so much of that is social pressure or various, you know, various other, various other things. But Sometimes they'll blame it on the health. And it, that's the thing that I want people to understand is that veganism is not a diet. So there's ways of eating within veganism that may not be the healthiest. You might have chips and Oreos all day. Oh, yeah. But, and then blame it on veganism. And I'm like, well, you could have also eaten large salads and lentils and legumes. And I mean, you look at that new docu-series, Blue, Blue Zones, oh, which yeah. talks about people that are living past 100 and they are – predominantly plant-based. I mean, mo the people that are living past mm -hmm. 100 are mm -hmm. plant-based, okay? The guy says that th those people are that are 100% plant-based. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And so the idea that, oh, when you go vegan, you could get sick. It's like, well, when you go vegan, there's different ways of eating. So we have to make sure, obviously, that you're doing it right and getting all the nutrients that you need. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that feels like a setback and that feels like an ultimate betrayal. And I do think something like Connect for Animals maybe is something that could have helped them not go back and something that could have made them feel like, okay, I'm part of a larger movement. I'm not in this alone. I'm not, you know, myself against the world. Mm -hmm. We're in this together and <clears throat> we are fighting the good fight. Mm -hmm. If we don't speak mm -hmm. up for animals, who will? Yeah. I mean, I, I think if, if you just like look at the picture of if you take someone who cares about this issue, who goes vegan, if you leave them by themselves, the probability that they go back, I think just like increases over time, right? Or it's it's too high versus taking that person who has, who has seen what we do to animals, who has gone vegan, and then connecting them to other people, even just one other person. But, you know, I mean, ideally connecting them to more people and, you know, making them feel like they're part of this movement, getting them connected and plugged in in a way that feels good for them, like whatever that is, right, in a, a way that they feel like they can contribute to helping animals and to ending factory farming using their skills and their background and their experiences and their communities that they're a part of. If 
we can get that person connected, mm-hmm. then I think that we just we 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 drop that probability of them flipping back because mm-hmm. now they've got that support. You know, mm-hmm. they've got those friends, those connections, those people. I think, like you said earlier, just that feeling that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've heard that that phrase so many times. It's like, oh, it's like, oh my god, I just realized I wasn't alone. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just me. That's so powerful. Somebody to reach out to when you're really upset or angry about something that may have happened. I'll give you a perfect example. I was out um, at Just Salad. It's Mm -hmm. a chain here in New York. I think they have them all over the place. But you basically go, you pick your your leafy greens, you pick, you know, if you want rice or beans or whatever in there, you can make a whole salad. Mm -hmm. And I picked the vegan one. It's by default, it's vegan. I don't know what the confusion is. The lady asked me if I wanted mushrooms or tofu. I think I said mushrooms. And I'm up at the register and I'm paying and I look and out of the corner of my eye, she had poured chicken all over the bowl. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, like that to me is a dead animal. I don't see the difference between that and a dog, right? So like, I'm like, I'm looking and and I'm just, my mouth is open like, and then she's trying to pick it off with her hands. Mm. Like dump the fucking bowl. Like what the fuck are you doing? And I was like so upset, but obviously I was trying to keep my cool because I didn't want to lose it. And I didn't, you know, I wanted her to like understand and, and make me another bowl and not spit in it. So whatever, I was like, hi, like, do you mind? like uh, I don't want that touching my salad like it it has bacteria on it like I ordered the vegan bowl for a reason yeah. like I understand it's an honest mistake like no worries but please so she made me another one which honestly and I felt bad because I'm like it's wasteful but I don't want that touching my food mm-hmm. so then mm-hmm. I call my friend Jen Jen Flynn if you're listening to this I freaking love you and I adore you and she's kind of like my go-to <laughs> she's one of my best animal rights activist friends I met her at a slaughterhouse years ago oh my gosh <laughs> and I call her and I'm like Jen you're never gonna believe what happened like I'm so mad and I just I feel so angry at the world like nobody really understands understands like how devastating and how upsetting this is Mm -hmm. for me and she was like oh my god i'm so freaking sorry she's like i would have been so pissed too yeah yeah just having that person and because it's it's not the one thing right it's like it's symbolic of the whole picture yes It's, it's connected to the whole situation and when you you know it seems like such a little thing, but then to you, I mean, to us, it's connected to those videos of what happens at slaughterhouses. It's connected to those experiences that you've had personally of, I mean, like witnessing suffering. Um, it's just a reminder. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have that happen too, right? Where you're walking around and I feel like there's a little part of my brain that I I try to maybe like toggle it on or off depending mm-hmm. on how open I am to just feeling the feelings that day, right? But seeing any kind of like meat out at a restaurant or whatever, uh, y- I mean, you know, you know what that is, right? And it just connects it to that that full picture of this, you know, massive injustice and all the suffering that we're trying trying to deal with. And so, mm-hmm. having somebody who understands that, right? Because otherwise, if you don't have that person, then you just feel so so bad, so isolated, mm-hmm. and you're like, am I? just totally out of touch like am i Mm -hmm. you know is something wrong with me is something wrong with my brain you know it's like if nobody around you can empathize with that Mm -hmm. um so yeah even just having even just having like 
a gen, your gen, you know, mm-hmm. like who's your gen. You guys all yeah. have to get a gen. You got to get a gen. I, I felt right? so much better after talking to her. And, you know, this has happened to me a few times. I was just in Miami visiting my mom last week and I ordered the default vegan salad at this restaurant. <laughs> I don't know what the confusion is. I must have said 500 <laughs> times to this woman, hi, I don't eat animals. Please make sure you double check. There's nothing in there. I don't want cheese, nothing. Uh-huh. Okay. You ought, you have to pay more for that stuff anyway. So I don't know what the confusion is. And the salad comes out. It looks completely normal. And I had a few bites. And then out, out of the corner of my eye, I see like a tiny cube of, of chicken flesh in there. And I was like, are you kidding me again? Like, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> oh. oh, you know, oh, I mean, it'd be, God. be nice if we could just snap our fingers and have everything go vegan. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. Yeah. That'd it be would, nice. It would be. And if we work together like we should be doing, and if we all connect for the animals, <laughs> we will be able to do that sooner than than we think. So without further ado, I just want to, you know, thank you so much yeah. for coming on, for talking about this from a psychological perspective, because I think that this is so important for us to sustain our activism in the long run. I want to be in this movement for the rest of my life. I'll always be vegan, but to be able to stay active, mm-hmm. I think you really do have to connect yeah so how can people find you and support you and what's the future for connect for animals yeah absolutely i mean just go to go to connect for animals and uh create an account sign up you know um, connect uh you, we spell it out so yeah f-o-r great f-o-r yeah so i mean and even if you you know even if people go to connect for animals and like they it's not for them or whatever like our, our goal is to help people just find what's going to be a good fit for them whatever that may be right like and whatever those people's skills and interests are just getting plugged into this space in a way that feels good for them but even if people don't like connect for animals just know that there there's like such a diversity of stuff happening in this movement there is really a place for everybody and there are people out there and just like find a way to get connected right because that's yeah that'll that'll help you stay here longer and really make a difference for animals which is what we're trying to do steven you're amazing i'm so lucky thank you thank you and i'm so lucky to know people like you i've met some of my closest friends people that i just love admire and adore from the animal rights movement and people that i probably honestly would have never crossed paths with had it not been for animal rights. Yeah, I mean, you meet a lot of really courageous and deeply value-driven people here, right? Mm-hmm. Just people who care about making the world a better place. And like, those are the people who I want to be with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, guys. Go follow Connect for Animals. I'm at Itch Jamie's Corner. And until next time, I will see you guys around. Bye. Yay! Woo! We did it! <laughs>